just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot, talking college hoops in the Garden State. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman, recapping another week of college basketball here in New Jersey. Kind of an up-and-down week for our teams. We'll get into some results and the week ahead. Also, you're going to want to hang around this episode. We have our first head coach guest in Jersey Jump Shot history, Tobin Anderson from FDU, kind enough to stop by the show. We have a great interview with him talking about how he's helped turn that program around. You'll want to hear that for sure. But Before we get to that, as I said, we're going to recap a little bit of what happened this past week and look ahead. And we start with the Scarlet Knights. Rutgers goes on the road and they lose at Michigan State. Uh, Kind of a flat performance there from the Scarlet Knights. They have a home game against Penn State coming up on Tuesday, tomorrow. And then they are at Iowa on Sunday. So as we kick off the show here, Chris, uh, what did you see out of Rutgers? And now they have uh, Penn State, a good team, a quality team they have coming to their building tomorrow on Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I said on last week's show that Michigan State was beatable. Jerry said that it's going to be a tough game. Jerry was right. My prediction was so bad that I did a lot of self-reflection over the weekend. Whether or not I was going to come back on the show this week, I thought maybe it was time to step aside. But I decided to come back um, for at least one We're more happy week. to have you. Thank you. We'll see. It's, it's week to week now. Um, no, Rutgers just didn't shoot well. I mean, it was, you know, 34%. They were 2-17 from three, and Michigan State shot the ball very well. They were 12-22 from deep, and, you know, that was really the big difference. I mean, listen, as, as Jerry said last week and as we saw in that game, you know, Michigan State is a good team. You know, they 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 did have their share of struggles. They were, um, you know, down Malik Hall, who's been injured. But, uh, you know, that's a solid team on the road, a place where Rutgers has never won, and it was just, you know, it was a difficult game for, for the Scarlet Knights. And, yeah, I mean, you look at Penn State, they're a solid team. You know, they're, they're not great defensively, but they're very good offensively one of the best three-point shooting teams in the nation. Um, so I think that this is going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a challenge for Rutgers tomorrow. Yeah, what what you've seen from Rutgers, and again, with Michigan State, I wouldn't read too, too much into it. You know, you're playing on their turf. They kind of needed the game. They're really good. Uh, and they'll be really good in March when Malik Hall gets back, assuming he comes back and is able to play pretty well. But uh, you, you see, you, you've seen one thing in the two – uh, Big Ten losses, like non-controversial Big Ten losses Rutgers has taken. That is, Iowa and Michigan State have spread them out and moved the ball through the air. And I think kind of a little bit of exploited Rutgers over-pursuing, over-defending the ball to get open looks. And they made them, which is not easy. Like, Rutgers is going to make you beat them from three. Here comes Penn State, a team that shoots well from three, as Chris mentioned with a terrific player in Jalen Pickett, who's one of the best guards in the Big Ten this year and can really fill it up. So it does, you know, there is a concern, like, well, Rutgers is Penn State, is Rutgers vulnerable to Penn State's three-point shooting? 
and college basketball, like a lot of a lot of it's determined by the shots going in, right? What is this saying, Chris? Shooting cures a lot of ills. Yeah, you know, it's also difficult to win if your shots don't fall. Right, shooting causes a lot of ills, right? For Rutgers, it caused ills at Michigan State, and so yeah, you that's a, a storyline going into Penn State, but Rutgers is home, uh, and Penn State's you know done a good job. Like this is not your your big brother's Penn State team. Micah Shrewsbury who comes off the the Matt Painter Purdue tree, and Matt Painter's terrific, as everybody knows. The guy can coach basketball. And uh, it's interesting because uh, I was talking to, to uh, Frankie Saracino, who's the president of the Riot Squad, who, Chris, as you know, you're the Rutgers student fans who do a great job at football and basketball games, uh, no matter what. They yep. do a great job getting there and making the place loud. And uh, I asked him this question, did you, you know, uh, is can Rutgers be because Shaka Smart brought this up uh, at the Seton Hall game? Someone asked him what it's like the difference between coaching at Marquette and Texas. And Shaka said, you know, at Marquette, it's a basketball school, people care more. And like Rutgers, I think they don't, those are extremes. Rutgers sort of falls in the middle. Can Rutgers be a football and basketball school? And Frankie told me a funny story about when he, he, uh, he was interning at the Pinstripe Bowl last month. And there were some Penn State uh, students interning there. And Frankie said, hey, I'm getting together a bunch of Rutgers students to go to the game at Penn State in February. Uh, it should be a really good game. And the, and the Penn State interns, student interns were like, what? Our team's good? They did not know. They did not know. They're sports interns. They did not know that Penn State is good at basketball. They're 13 and six. They're four and four in the league. They're in the NCAA tournament picture. They didn't know. So it just shows you like that's an extreme. Okay. Penn State's a basketball, no man's land. And Rutgers is, is, is becoming, is regaining its identity as a basketball school. What do you think about that, Chris? You're on, you're on the football program. Do you think, is it possible to be both? I think at a school like Rutgers, you can be. I mean, I think that their fans are pretty passionate about both. I, I think that there's obviously going to be a segment of fans that always support the basketball program, who's always going to support, only going to support the football program. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of crossover there. And I think that, you know, you can be both. I mean, I, I you know, Rutgers fans are going to hate this comparison, but I'm going to make it anyway. I mean, for a lot of years, Syracuse has been both, right? I mean, the 90s and 2000s when the football program hasn't been as good as it was at those times for a long time. But there was a period where both programs were running smoothly and both were having success. And so I think that you can do that. I think that Rutgers is certainly has that potential to be both. I, I don't think that that's, that's impossible at all. For sure. You're going to see a really uh, a juiced up uh, Jersey Mike's arena Tuesday. And then, you know, Rutgers goes to Iowa. And I, to me, it's like if Rutgers just needs to get a split to keep moving the change, right? I mean, they're, they're pretty solidly in the NCAA tournament picture. Uh, they're in second place in the big 10. They're not going to win every game. You're going to lose games in the Big Ten, man. It happens. Uh, to me, it's about getting a split this week. You know, of course, that starts Tuesday when you're at home. I want to address one other thing. This is good podcast fodder, I think. You know, there's been some some anxiety in the Rutgers fan base uh, when you saw the Texas job and the Notre Dame jobs opening up. Like Mike Bray, who's been a terrific ambassador for the, for the sport, is reti- retiring at the end of the season. So you're starting to see some no no informed speculation, but just some wild message board, rando Twitter type, you know, uh, speculation about will they come after my Steve Peichel? And I don't blame fans for feeling that way. You have a terrific coach who's who's built the program from the ashes. Uh, but I want to just reassure them that I I think Steve Peichel is a 
is a Rutgers lifer or very close to it. He's 55 years old. He spent his entire life, uh, not just his coaching career, his entire life between New England and Washington, D.C. This is his area. This is his region. This is who he is. He's invested a lot here, and I just don't see him. I just don't see it. I just don't see him coaching somewhere else. I'm not speaking for him. Steve and I have not had this conversation. I'm just telling you my instinct. I think he will he will coach until he retires. Of course, if UConn at some point was to open, it's his alma mater. It's a state he was born and raised in. And Jim Calhoun taps him on the shoulder. You know, maybe all bets are off and you never say never. But I foresee Steve Peichel staying here until he's done coaching basketball. So that's just my two cents on that topic. And, you know, you Rutgers fans, exhale. Worry about Penn State and Iowa instead. I totally agree with you, Jerry. I, I don't. He doesn't come across. He never has as one of these coaches that's always looking for his next job, right? I mean, he, I think he came to Rutgers. It, he, it means a lot to, for him to be here to build this program up. You know, he obviously has the resources. He has everything he needs there. Um, and, he, I mean, look at the program that he came from, as you mentioned, Jerry, UConn. I mean, that's a program that has, you know, Calhoun was there with longevity. I think kind of having that mark on him, I think, has, has meant a lot to him. I don't think he's, he's ever been the coach that's just here for a – you know, time, do what he wants to do here and then leave for the next job. And, and he's never he's never come across that way. Right. And Rutgers is a good job now. I mean, this you know, there's a lot of money being invested into basketball. The, the facilities are great. And you know, there's, fantastic. Yeah, there's, exactly. There's an NIL uh, cooperative up and running. Uh, yes. The thing, the train's rolling. Like, why? Why get off that train? You know, so I, I and I, he's a smart guy. I don't foresee it. Definitely, I don't foresee it at all this year. I don't foresee it in the, in the foreseeable future. So let's put that to rest. I think that's good. You know, I, I don't even want to bother writing a story like that. Why? But I, you know, it's good podcast like chat. And the buyout is considerable too. We should also mention. Yeah, it's yeah, it's six, fifteen, sixteen million dollars. It's, yeah, it's, it's enormous buyout. It plummet. does it does plummet if Pat Hobbs is no longer the AD. But and to, what's that? You just got a six-year contract, so, so yeah. Do. I mean, you you don't I, again. It seems everything's really set for the long haul at Rutgers. Agreed, Chris. So let's get that. I just wanted to get that off my chest. So interesting week for Rutgers. Uh, and like I said, you know, get one of two, keep moving in the right direction, and I think things are fine regardless of what happened in East Lansing last week. Absolutely, deep breaths, Rutgers fans. Your your coaches, at least in our opinion, here to stay. And you know, after a tough one in, at Michigan State last week, uh, once again, opportunity to to start to add to that resume once more. It starts tomorrow at home against Penn State, and then on the road at Iowa on Sunday. Certainly, two challenging games, but you have to be happy with the split at least this week for the Scarlet Knights. And speaking of splits, it was Seton Hall with a split last week against two ranked opponents at home. They win at home in dramatic fashion over UConn. They follow that up, though, with a 21-point loss to Marquette. Uh, so up and down there for the Pirates, Jerry. And I don't know, if you wanted to split hairs, I think you'd almost rather reverse the order. And, you know, if you lose to UConn and win against Marquette, I don't know, UConn's headed in the wrong direction, but still a win's a win for the Pirates. I don't, I don't agree. I think that you get the buzz you get for beating UConn. They're still UConn, okay? And the, Dan Hurley's the coach, and it's a big brand. And it's an old, original, original Big East school. The buzz you get for beating UConn is, is worth it. Is worth its weight in gold. Steve was there. It was one of the great moments uh, uh, that I've covered in the, since the Prudential Center opened at Seton Hall. There, as far as the atmosphere and Seton Hall coming back from 17 down, uh, and the way the game ended on a putback from the toughest guy in college basketball, Casey and Defo. Steve, you were there. It was just, it was, um, you know, a really uh, scintillating day 
And I think regardless of the loss to Marquette, you know, you run into this buzzsaw coming off the high. Marquette's really good. I had him in the top 10 in my my AP top 25 ballot this week. They're really good. Uh, I think regardless of that result, like the UConn win showed you what's possible and that Seton Hall is not that far off from being a contender here, Steve. I totally agree. And the atmosphere was incredible. The game was incredible. And as you said, this was a glimpse of what everyone hopes is the future for Seton Hall basketball under Shaheen Holloway. You know, and again, he has he has proven himself time again in those one game coaching situations. That was another one. I mean, listen, you still see, of course, there's a gap, you know, with the Marquettes and the Creightons, but but Seton Hall has the ability right now to compete with these teams, maybe not beat them, but they can beat the teams that they're supposed to beat and, and occasionally knock off a UConn. And so I think that is a, that's a great place to be year one under Shaheen Holloway. And one thing you're seeing, I think with Seton Hall now, like the two best wins they've had this season were against street brawlers like themselves. Rutgers is a street tough street brawling team. UConn is that for sure. And Seton Hall has has outbrawled those two teams, which, you know, Marquette, the Marquettes, the Creightons of the world who are going to, you know, spread you out and shoot the lights out. Like Seton Hall is not going to put up points like that. They're 12-1 and when holding opponents under 70 points. They're 0-8 when when opponents score over 70 points. Like Seton Hall wants to drag you into the mud, and they're going to beat you in the mud. And so – but I want to just note a couple things – Steve has pointed this out. Like the the ceiling, the long-term ceiling under Shaheen Holloway is very high. And I, you, you saw that this week with the way they handled UConn and came back and kept their composure and bullied UConn. UConn is not a team that is easily bullied. They bullied UConn in the second half of that game. And then the Marquette loss, and Shaheen Holloway comes in the room and really just, I mean, tells you how he feels, man. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get – I don't know that there's any other coach at a high major. I'm not. I'm not going to say any Division One school, but at a high major, maybe there's one or two who's going to open up a press conference, dropping a few expletives, and not, you know, not in a rude way, but saying like, "I did a terrible job. I let my team get let their heads get too big after the UConn win." Like he just went and told you what was wrong, dropping a sledgehammer, and then. Uh, I know, you know some people don't like that, and it ruffles some feathers. It you know people clutch their pearls or whatever. But this is who Shaheen Holloway is, and why I think the ceiling's so high because Holloway is going to try to extract as much as he can. Like I think he's capable of getting more out of people because of his personality. He's capable of getting more to the talent he has than even the average good coach, and that I think is really exciting if you're a Seton Hall fan. But you also saw, like I, I asked him. You're five and five at the turn of the Big East. You were one and four. What do you think about where her at? You're at, and he said, "I don't like it." You know, and he said, "What coach would like five and five? And I'm thinking, well, I think a lot of coaches would like it when you were one and four, but he doesn't like it. And so there is a there's an attitude there that has a potential to push a team to greatness. Maybe not this team this year, but you saw some of that in St. Peter's, right, Steve? And you could see that foundation being laid in South Orange. 
Well, that's it. And I think we all said it's going to take a little bit of time. And, you know, that's why, you know, Casey Nadefo, you know, he has stepped up in some of the biggest games. And that's why he's here. He's here to to say, look, this is how we want to play. This is the physical nature of what we want to do now defensively. And, um, you know, he's a tone setter and, and, and he's got some guys like that. And I think as as it as it kind of permeates the whole program, you know, you're going to see this more and more. The challenge for Seton Hall is can you, when you have to be max intensity players one through nine to every game, because you don't have like the, the offensive firepower, okay, or even just the, the familiarity that Rutgers players have with each other on the offensive end. You don't have that. These guys, a lot of these guys are still learning each other. When you rely on max intensity one through nine, these are college athletes, okay, they're going to be ups and downs. And the consistency is Seton Hall's thing right now. So that's why they got run off the floor against Marquette is you're going to, they had it down and Marquette's really good. So Seton Hall's five and five. Can they find enough consistency to go six and four or seven and three on the back half of the Big East schedule? Seven and three gets them in the NCAA tournament. Six and four bubble. You got some work to do at Madison Square Garden in the Big East tournament. I do think the schedule gets a little easier because, and I can't believe I'm saying this because they haven't played Villanova yet. And they have played Marquette, who's probably the best team in the league twice. So the schedule gets a little easier, but a lot of it, and Holloway has said this, it's about us. Like it's about Seton Hall. Can you find the, can you dig deep every single game through these last 10 games? They're not going to do it every game, but can you do it enough times to get seven out of 10 wins, you know, to win seven out of 10 games. It's an interesting proposition. And I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that or not, but I think if you, it's going to be fun to watch and see like who's going to want to play these guys in February or March, not many teams. Absolutely. And and it's a nice thing too. They, they don't play until Saturday. So a couple days to, to kind of catch your breath, to kind of refocus. You have the emotional high that went over UConn and then the reality check against Marquette. So they have a few days to kind of get back in the gym, get back in the film room, catch their breath. And now the second half of this uh, Big East schedule begins and it starts Saturday at Butler, a team they already beat back in Newark. So now they have to go on the road, beat them again on their home floor. And that's where it starts for this Pirates team. So certainly we'll be keeping an eye on them as they start the second half. Right. The bye comes at the right time, right? right? I mean, the bye comes at the right time. So like our friend Kevin Willard, he gets clobbered a lot for criticizing the league schedules, right? He's always ripping the schedules, the Big Ten schedule, the Big E schedule. But I think Kevin's core point, like there is a lot of complaining there, and that's one of his things. You know, it's just a shtick for him. But I think his core point is accurate. It's not as much who you play as when you play them. And the when dictates a lot of the how things unfold here. Like Rutgers had to go to Michigan State when they were ornery off two straight losses. Like that's part of the when. You know, and, and Seton Hall now gets a bye at the right time. This is part of the when. So can this team that relies so much on energy and guts recharge a little bit now this week? That's what you would hope from a Seton Hall perspective. So we'll see. Absolutely. We'll keep an eye on the Pirates. And as we get to our mid-majors portion of the program, we're actually going to play that interview that we talked about at the top of the show. Tobin Anderson from FDU, kind enough to join us. The first head coach we've had on Jersey Jump Shot, a fun conversation that Steve and Jerry had with him. Let's listen in on that. 
All right, so we're excited to welcome our first uh, head coach guest on the Jersey Jump Shot podcast, Tobin Anderson at FDU, and what a job he's done. Just to give you a little background, FDU is 12 and 10 overall, 5 and 2 in the Northeast Conference. They were 4 and 22 last year. So this first year coach has tripled their win total, and it's only January 23rd. Tobin Anderson came from St. Thomas Aquinas College, known as Stack in Spark Hill, New York. He won 209 games there, 77% winning percentage, seven straight NCAA tournament appearances at that school, the Division II level. And look at what he's done. Look at FDU this season 78 points per game, tops in the Northeast Conference. They're shooting 76% from the free throw line, only averaging 11 turnovers a game. Exciting brand of basketball. They sit in second place in the league, half a game behind St. Francis of Pennsylvania. And that is the next opponent Thursday, 7 p.m. at the Rothman Center. So, perfect timing. Tobin, welcome. And I have to ask you, what do you want the average basketball fan to know about the Division II level? I get the sense the competition must be really good. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. You, you guys do a great job. I love your podcast. I listen, I listen to it, so it's I appreciate that. But, yeah, that Division Division II basketball is really good basketball. It's, it's scholarship basketball. I've been at Division III head coach for a long time, then Division II. So, you know, all college basketball is good basketball, but especially the scholarship level, there's not a whole lot of difference between the best Division II teams and the, and the lower to mid-Division ones. And so, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's competitive there. It's competitive here, but it's, um, you know, we're not – we have three guys I brought with me from from Stack who were, you know, they were good players for us at Stack, and they're good players for us at, at FDU. So it's um, yeah, there's not a, there's not a big gap, and like anymore with the way things are with the the transfer portal and all the guys coming and going and new guys, old guys. It's it's like um, there's good players everywhere. So you just gotta go find them and, and get them to mesh together. That's that's the biggest key. Tobin, the, the path you've taken, kind of as a player and as an as an assistant coach, as a head coach, kind of the subdivision one level. What have you learned on that that maybe you might not have had your path been a little different to, to FDU? Well, I was able to be a head coach when I was young, and so when I was 20, 27 years old, I was a head division three coach at Clarkson University in Potsdam, New York, you know, middle of nowhere, and I was able to make mistakes and, and as, a, as a young head coach and. And um, no one cared. No one paid any attention to me there. There's, there's, there's 20 people at the games, and there's not a whole lot of coverage. So it's like I would screw up as a head coach and make mistakes, and not just mistakes from the X and O standpoint, but how you handle your team and how you bounce back from things and how you how you go throughout the season. And you learn. You know, I think you learn more as a head coach than you do as an assistant. I had a bunch of men. My, my dad was a head coach for 20, high school head coach for for 30 years. So I, I watched him how, how he coached his team and and ran a program. So I learned a lot from him. But you learn a lot from just yourself, you know, and I would I would constantly and you could try things as a head coach. You can try things and OK, this didn't work. Let's try it again. And now now I'm at the point where, like, I've kind of seen I don't want to say everything, but I've seen a lot like I've had a, we've ups and downs and, you know, wins and losses. How do you handle winning streaks? How do you handle losing streaks? How do you handle players that are in a slump? Things like that. So we're you know, I, I think it helped me a lot to go through all that kind of stuff. And the and the um, especially Division three, Division two, you're like you're. You're doing everything. I mean, you're, I'm ordering the food. I'm getting the hotels. I'm I'm, I'm sleeping the floor. I mean, like you're used to doing all the dirty work. So it's like you know, I'm used to um, whatever happens. And kind of you're kind of ready for it. Tobin, honest honest answer. Have you swept the floor this year at the Rothman Center? Um, honest answer is no. I have not swept the floor throughout the Rothman. Okay. I've, I've picked up trash. I've got the meal stuff. <laughs> I've, I've, not, 
I have not slept the four, so I appreciate the people who do sleep the four fours because I have not done that yet. I know old habits die hard. I'm sure you're doing a lot of stuff still other than coaching. All right, so now the um, you mentioned three players you brought with you from Stack. They're all major contributors, Dimitri Roberts, Grant Singleton, Sean Moore. Let's talk about Dimitri Roberts first. 17 points a game, four assists per game, dynamic player. Uh, where did you find him, and how did you know that he would transition so successfully to this level? It's actually a good story. He was at Mount, Mount Vernon High School. So as we, as we all know in the metropolitan area, Mount Vernon is one of the best high school programs in the, in the, in the, in the area in the country. So it wasn't like right. a, he, was, he wasn't hidden. But he's a 5'8", he's a 5'8", 160-pound guard who people thought was too small to play Division One and have an impact. But he's got elite, elite speed, elite quickness. He shoots the ball well. But the biggest thing, he's got a huge, huge um, heart. He just plays so hard. He's so tough. Um, he's a winner. You know, we've, we've been together for – this is our fifth year together. I think we won. We were in the Sweet 16 every year at, at Stack. Every, every NCAA tournament, we are in the Sweet 16. Um, Average 26 wins a season. Um, so we've been through a lot with him. Um, anymore, I just kind of stay out of his way and just let him do what he does. But he's um, just just a I don't. You could put him anywhere, and he's got the the confidence to believe he's the best player on the court. And he's got that that will to win. And we played a little in Chicago first game of the year, and he he had twenty five points, and like he had the last shot. And he just like he wants the ball in big situations. He wants to make big plays. He's not afraid of anything. So he's like a just an unbelievable competitor. When you come from Mount Vernon. You're kind of used to that all the time anyway. So um, I was lucky to – I recruited him hard. I, I must have sent him 250 texts or calls. He might have returned like three or four of them for the first <laughs> like six months. He had no interest in talking to me or talking to Division II. It's like it's like trying to, to date someone. I mean, I just kept calling and calling. I was just persistent. Eventually, he's like, well, I might as well go with this guy. He kind of, he kind of likes me. So it ended up being a, a, a good marriage for the two of us. And he's been he's been wonderful to coach. I mean, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry when he leaves because he's been – He's, I mean, he's won us a lot of games. We're getting basketball advice and dating advice. And look at that. Like you said, look at the marriage, right? And speaking yeah. of marriage, your backcourt now with Sean, with Singleton. Uh, how about the continuity? How important is that? You mentioned the transfer portal. It's like a revolving door personnel. You, these guys have played with each other before. How much does that help? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like those two guys together. They, they're so, you know, they play. Like I said, they played over 100, 100 1,520 games together. They've been in the NCAA tournament together, conference championships. They just know um, how how they how they can you know make each other better, you know, and they, they feed off each other so well. And sometimes it's a bad thing because if one of them has a bad game, the other guys are like, oh, "Well, I didn't have a bad game too." So they they kind of like when like, we got beat last night, and they're they're both kind of not not very good. Um, but when they're both when they're both going, it's like it's it's they're hard they're hard to stop. They can score, they can shoot it. Um, they play so hard together, they can defend. So, you know, just that that chemistry of, of being together for so long makes a huge, huge difference. Hey, talk about your – you brought in a JUCO player who has made a nice impact for you this year, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, but that, that's a funny thing about our team. It's like we have we have the guys I brought with me from Stack. We have some new guys we recruited, a couple, couple of JUCO guys, a couple, a couple of freshmen, and then some guys who were already here from, from the year before. So it's, it's, it's an unbelievable um, – combination of just a little bit a little bit of everything it's like it's it's it's, it's incredible so that it, it, hero blagens are is our juco kid who's been who's been fantastic he actually got hurt he missed he missed about eight games he's coming back now which will be huge down the stretch but uh yeah he's been he's been great for us too he's a little bit older you know we're not we're not a young team we're, we got some experience we're a little bit older we're a little more we're a little more um you know we're, we're physical tough kids so yeah he's had an impact too you know and it's and it, honestly steve and, and, and jerry it's been a team effort like these guys have just been it's been a you know 
each guy's contributed in some way to helping us win. And that's been the biggest part of our success. Well, that's what it's all about. The third stack transfer, Sean Moore, is a forward. I hear there's a good story behind his nickname. Fill us in. <laughs> yeah, so back in Ohio, we were always we were talking one day in practice. We're like, hey, well, you know, this guy's talking trash. Talk, I mean, I was, trash is the word I would use for the for the podcast. Everybody's uh, talking, talking <laughs> junk, talking this. And he's like, yeah, everybody's, talk, everybody's talking fuzz. And we're like, what fuzz? What does talking fuzz mean? So we're like, um, that's a good nickname. We're just going to call you fuzz. And I said, you can't go in the Hall of Fame unless you have a great nickname. I said, Fuzz is, a, is that's a great nickname. So, so we call we all call him Fuzz. That's 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 his nickname. And I guess it's a it's an Ohio thing. But um, I'm not even sure who Sean Moore is anymore. If somebody says Sean, I'm like, who's Sean? It's Fuzz. Fuzz Moore. So that's I learned name. something new today. Trash talking in Ohio is talking Fuzz. All right, Steve, what do you got? You you grew up in Iowa, Tobin? Yep, I grew up in Iowa. Small the town about 500 people. So how does a kid from a small town in Iowa end up going to school at Wesleyan in Connecticut? That'd be a whole separate podcast, but I went to prep school in Maine. My dad was a high school coach. He knew the prep school coach up in Maine. I went up there. I was going to be the starting point guard until I was there for about a half an hour. And there was like three guys who were way better than I was. It was the best prep school program in the country. He went to UMass, went to VCU. So like I was a fourth string point guard on a, on a great team. And so I wanted to go play division one. I, I want to go to the Ivy league. And um, my guidance counselor was a Wesleyan grad said, you can't, you can't guard anybody. You're, you're the worst defender, um, I've ever seen. You can't play in the Ivy league. You better, you better go somewhere else. So he's like, go to Wesleyan. Wesleyan's a good school division. It's like a, you know, it's a little Ivy. It's an SCAC school. So he was right. I went to, went to Wesleyan and actually had a good career and, and I couldn't guard anybody. So there's, there's guys in that league that I could, that I could guard. If I went to Princeton or Harvard, I would, I'd been sitting down watching other people play too. So it was, uh, I ended up going there and it, and it worked out great and, and it had a great experience. Well, you know, I'm a transplanted Midwesterner who's been on the East Coast now for a long time, and I, and I love it out here. But um, yeah, it's been it was it's it's been a it's been a journey. Tobin, coaching philosophy question. It's come up now and then throughout the years. Your team shoots so so well from the free throw line. Is that is free throw shooting? Is it born? Is it taught? Do you have to recruit it? How much can you improve it? What can you tell us about that? We spent more. We spent less time shooting free throws in practice than probably any team in the country. We don't shoot any free throw. We shoot. We have a. We have one thing we do during water breaks. We each guy shoots one free throw. So as a team, you got to. Let's say you got thirteen guys. You got to make ten for thirteen, or it's a sprint. And so we don't practice it. We don't work on it. Um, I work now. I'll work with guys individually. Like I'll work with guys on a one on one basis. We'll do. That's more. You become a better shooter by that kind of instruction, like the one on one stuff. So we spend a lot of time on that kind of thing, but not as far as a team goes. Are we talking about it? I think the biggest key, Jerry, is, that is as long as your best free throw shooters are shooting the free throws, you'll be a good free throw shooting team. So our best free throw shooters are Grant, Dimitri, and, and Ansley Alamore, uh, Alamore, who's our um, forward, who's averaged like 15 points a game, 16 points a game. They're all shooting like 85 or 90. They shoot a lot of the free throws. So as long as your best guys are shooting them, you'll be you'll be fine. But we and we don't we don't spend a lot of time on we re- we really don't. That that's an amazing philosophy because you talk to a lot of coaches who. They might spend like a quarter of their practice shooting free throws. I, mean, I guess it's it's uh, it's certainly different for different guys. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's psychological or mental. If, if over, guys overthink things. Now, if you look back in the Wesleyan record books, you'll notice that Tobin Anderson is is the all time the all time free throw leader at Wesleyan. So I do spend time. I we had a free throw clinic I did one day for him. I said, listen, five minutes. I'm gonna tell you how I shoot free throws. I can still all out shoot anybody on our team from the free throw line. I can't. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't outrun anybody. If it, it was. It, I get lapped in a in a down and back sprint, but I can I can outshoot guys at the free throw line. What's one thing I can do? So I will spend time with them one on one. Hey, and I'm big on routine and, and not thinking about things and, and trusting what you do. And and so I no, I 
I shouldn't belittle the fact that we do spend time one-on-one. But as far as a team, we don't say, hey, you got to shoot 20, you got to shoot 30. We don't do a lot of that stuff at all. We do. We have some free throw games we play sometimes just for, for fun. But, like, yeah, we're not a big um, overall team kind of thing. But I do spend some time individually. So, Tobin, the, the beauty of college basketball, right, is that you, it's so hard to predict. Every every game is just like, you know, the, the, you, they're so full of surprises. And yep. the season opens, you're at Loyola, which you referenced before, and you have this game where, you know, you're right there with them and this heartbreaking finish unfolds. What do you walk in the locker room and tell your team after that game? Because I'm watching this at home. I'm like, my goodness, FDU must be pretty good, but that's got to hurt. What do you say to them in that spot? Yeah, I mean, it was a painful loss, a painful loss because we, we had them and we had it to the end of the game. I, I didn't sleep for about four or five nights just because you lose. And you're like, well, you know, a lot of times it's like, what, what can I do better as a coach? You know, put a guy on the ball, don't put a guy on the ball, um, miss a free throw. There's, there's a lot of different uh, decisions you make. And you're like, do, do you question yourself? But at the end of the day, our guys competed at a really high high level in a tough environment. And I just told the guys after the game, hey, listen, if we, do, we, if we can do that the next the next 30 games, we'll have a fun season. It'll be, it'll be a good season. We'll win, we'll win a bunch of games. And we'll be in good shape. But for the most part, we have done that. Like, we've competed at a pretty high level and played played well together and, got, and gotten better. We're, we're, we're a much better team now than we were out in Chicago, which is a huge part of, of the success of our, of, our, of our conference season so far. So, but, yeah, that law – that loss will not be forgotten for uh, probably forever because you lose a game on, on a situation like that. But I was I was inspired because because you know like you go in that game you're like well you know this could get bad or it could be ugly or we could you know are, are we good enough to compete? And like we found out right away we were good enough to compete and that gave us a little bit of uh, positive um, feedback going into the rest of the season. Last thing for me, one more, and you got this big game on Thursday. Uh, what what kind of potential as a home court does the Rothman center have? I mean, there's been FDU has a nice tradition going a long way back. There's a lot of basketball um, interest in the area. You know, it's a great basketball area. As you know, what, what kind of feedback are you getting from students, people around campus? And what do you think? I mean, you might, you know, you could well host the Northeast conference tournament. What, what, what can that be like for you? What is the potential there? Do you, do you see? You're getting me. You're getting me excited, Jerry, because that'd be an awesome thing. I think the Rothman Center has incredible potential. I think this is the kind of place with our with our location. You can draw from so many people here, and like we play, like you said, we play great. We we go up and down. We score points. It's fun to watch us play. And I think I, my vision is having this place packed, and there's there's four thousand people in here, and it's you know there's the, the fire marshals trying to kick people out of here, and the place is, is jammed up and all that kind of stuff. That's like Iowa high school. That's like Midwestern high school basketball, where the whole town come out and see you play. So we're we're trying to do all we can to drum up support and get people excited about us. And like, listen, we're, we're building a program. It's a, it's a process and people have come in the past and, and the, there's been a couple down years and we got to get it going again where it's like, Hey, this is a big thing to come see us play. So we're trying to, to do all we can, but the biggest thing you do is win. We just got, we got to win and keep on winning. And if you come see us play, you'll be excited about what we're doing, how we're, how we're doing things and the kind of guys we have and just keep coming back. But no, I, I would love to have an opportunity to host a, the great thing about our conference is it's, first of all, it's wide open. And um, anybody can win at any night. But if he can host that first round game or host a couple of rounds of the tournament or host all three, that's a huge advantage to win the conference tournament. So we're trying like like heck to to, to make that happen. And, and uh, yeah, it's a great I, I love the area as far as like they're just people love basketball here. So we just got to get it. We got to get it going and get out there promoting and all, you know, heck, I'll I'll throw out T-shirts, I'll hand out pizza, I'll do what I have, whatever I have to do. I'll go I'll go do all that kind of stuff just to get this place packed. But the biggest thing is we just got to keep on winning and getting better. 
All right, Tobin. One of my goals this year is to get up there and see you in the Rothman Center. Absolutely. And you don't you don't have to hand me pizza, but you do got to let the fire marshal tell the fire marshal to let me in. All right, I'll stand in the corner. We'll get you in, Joe. You guys come to a game. We'll get you a VIP seats. You can you can sit next to me if you want to. I don't care. <laughs> Tobin Anderson, Fairley Dickinson, one of the great turnaround stories in college basketball so far. We'll be keeping an eye on the nights going forward. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us on Jersey Jump Shot Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. And thanks again to Tobin Anderson for stopping by the show. And Steve, as he listened to that conversation, uh, hopefully we didn't give them the Jersey jump shot kiss of death with two losses this past week, but certainly some opportunity ahead. They're home against St. Francis on Thursday. That's the team that they're looking up to in the standings. And then they go to Merrimack on Saturday. So FDU, uh, an opportunity to bounce back. Well, and listen, and, and nobody's going to run the table in, in a league, any league these days. And you saw that they came into the last weekend unbeaten. They lost two games. It might end up being the best thing that could happen to them. Get those out of the way. Learn from them. They got a big game this week coming up. And uh, let, let's face it, they could be one of the best stories in college basketball this year if they were to get to the NCAA tournament in a wide open Northeast conference. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think I just think it has the potential to be a great, great story. And a quick shout out to to Ansley Almanor. We didn't get to him in the podcast, but yes. but uh, he's Both one of the more did. one of the most improved players, right, in, in college basketball. Uh, St. Joe's Montvale product, who's really well in the front court for for the Knights. I'll be writing something about him and the team uh, later this week in advance of their big game against St. Francis. So keep an eye out for that. But yeah, thanks to Tobin for coming on. It's been a fun story, and we'll keep, we'll continue to follow it. Absolutely. And as I said, a big game for them home Thursday against St. Francis and then at Merrimack on Saturday. As for our other mid-majors around the state, Princeton with an overtime win. And then they have a big game coming up Saturday night at Yale. Steve, uh, once again, an opportunity for them to to take on probably their biggest competitor in the in the Ivy League. Yeah, Yale is very good in an ultra-competitive Ivy League. You know, so for for Princeton to have put themselves in this position heading into the Yale game, I mean, that's all you could hope for. And uh, listen, they, I think Princeton is really good. I think they are going to win the league. I, I hope we're not jinxing them, but you know, right now I, I would have to say they are really at the the top of the mid-major heap in the state for sure. You know, Ryder Riders is is six and three, and in their league in the MAC, you know, I think they've they've got a a, a pretty good chance to to make some noise again in a wide open league. You know they won a tough game at Manhattan. You know and and, and Manhattan's playing good. Iona had to had to gut one out at at, at Manhattan late last week. So very competitive league. Uh, I think Ryder. I think Ryder can be in the mix there. Uh, we're looking at the other New Jersey mid majors. Mammoth really really seemed to hit rock bottom on Saturday. You know a double digit home loss against Hampton, a team that struggled just as much as they have this year. And, uh, you know, really, one in 19, Monmouth is now, really, and now they have to go to North Carolina for a North Carolina swing where they're playing UNC Wilmington, which is a top 100 net team. Uh, So it gets no easier, and it's hard to see how they're going to be able to dig themselves out of this. Absolutely. You mentioned Ryder, two wins last week, wins against Niagara and Manhattan, and then they head on the road to Marist on Friday and Fairfield on Sunday. Monmouth, as well, as you said, losses to Charleston and Hampton at home. 
and they go on the road against Wilmington and North Carolina A&T for them as well. So uh, an interesting moment here in the mid-majors. Ryder, they're playing well. FDU, an opportunity to bounce back, and poor Mammoth, not really much going on for them. And a, a quick word on Princeton just to follow up. Like, they had five guys scoring double figures. Just balance on this team uh, against Dartmouth. Caden Pierce, I mean, who is this guy? He had tw- uh, 17 points and 13 rebounds. He's a freshman forward, just another Princeton guy who could fill it up. Like, where do they find these guys? So Princeton's good. I mean, one through five, they can beat you. They can beat you on offense. So, yeah, team to watch. Listen, it's fun. We got, you know, we got five teams in the mix here in Jersey, five or six teams really on the move in New Jersey this year. Uh, it's We're not at the home stretch yet, but you can feel March coming. So we'll be, we'll be following on the roller coaster ride, hanging on tight. Absolutely, we will be. And as we said, Princeton and FDU with opportunities with two of their main competitors in their conference coming up on the schedule this week. So an exciting time here in College Hoops in New Jersey. We're excited to talk about it on our next episode of Jersey Jump Shot. And of course, visit NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com to read Jerry, Steve, and Chris's reporting on College Hoops in New Jersey. Again, thanks to Tobin Anderson for stopping by the show. And thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. We will be back next week with another episode, and we will talk to you then. For Jerry, for Steve, for Chris, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next time on Jersey Jump Shot. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.